Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 622 of the podcast and it is Thursday the 12th of May 2022 as I record this. On today's in between I'm talking to accountant Joe David, who specialises in blockchain, cryptocurrency and the financial implications of Web3 business models. You'll know from previous episodes that I have been investigating this area. But despite speaking to a lot of different businesses who want to do NFTs for books, I have had no clear answer on the tax implications of creating, selling, buying or trading NFTs or exchanging the cryptocurrency earned from NFT books into fiat money. That is normal currency like GBP or US dollar or whatever you normally use for online and real life transactions. So it was great to finally have an accountant on the show to answer my questions. And of course, there are still no exact answers because we're in early, early, early days. But there are recommendations. So we talk about those recommendations and how to navigate this area. Now, even though Joe is a UK accountant, cryptocurrency is international. And so what we discuss is broadly applicable everywhere in terms of, yes, you have to pay tax. (laughs) Yes, it is trackable. And many of the exchanges and companies use KYC, know your customer rules as much as banks do. So if you haven't listened to previous episodes, we don't go into the basics of NFTs, non-fungible tokens in this one. So please listen to my solo episode 610, which is an overview of NFTs for authors. You can find links to all my futurist episodes and more resources at thecreativepen.com forward slash future. And yes, I am still minting NFTs at opensea.io forward slash jfpen. And I minted a new one based on my Arizona trip called Desperate Believers based on a saguaro uh, cacti uh, in a lightning storm, which I used in the climax of Stone of Fire. So yes, I am also actively minting and I am earning cryptocurrency. And because of that, because of when I first minted, that's what happened. This is why I've gone down this rabbit hole. I'm also going through my first tax year end, incorporating a small number of transactions with my uh, accountant in the next few weeks. Now, this is even more important to know about right now, because as I record this in mid-May 2022, cryptocurrencies have all dropped, but along with the whole market, along with stocks, bonds and everything else, to be honest. Amazon stock is down 38% year to date. Bitcoin is down 40% year to date. Peloton, (laughs) the cycling um company is down 65%. So when you see news about crypto, whether it's hypey or doom and gloom, don't look at your pension or your superannuation either. (laughs) Plus we have inflation. So even cash is dropping when you consider cost of living rises. So yes, money is an interesting and emotional topic for sure. If you are freaking out about a bear market, which is when things get bad, I recommend Tony Robbins' book, 
Unshakable, your financial freedom playbook, creating peace of mind in a world of volatility. <laughs> because there will always be bear markets and depending on how old you are. So I am 47 and I have been through a few of them. Uh, the big one, obviously, the big uh, 2008. But for many people in crypto, this this is we're kind of hoping it's like the dot com crash, because after the dot com crash, the web really came of age. And I mean, if you think about Amazon, for example, uh, Amazon was created before the dot com. It was created kind of in that early dot com boom. And then there was a crash. And then the companies that won really built themselves after that crash. So, I mean, this is just life. There will always be bear markets. There will always be cycles and highs and crashes. You can never time the market. There will also always be media that is hyping, hyping either way. Like you must get on the the wagon or everything's crashing. We're all going to (laughs) die. I mean, seriously, I think we all had enough of that, haven't we? But you do have to learn what you need to in order to understand how money works. Then decide on your business model and your investment choices and try to remain calm during the tough times. And it certainly seems like we are entering into some tough times. Try not to read the news. It's a bit like the beginning of the pandemic, isn't it? Uh, You know, war. (laughs) markets crashing. Fun times. Yes. So anyway, I have more money book recommendations at thecreativepen.com forward slash money books. But remember, this is not financial or legal or business or tax advice. I am not a financial advisor. Joe is an accountant, but he's not your accountant. And I am certainly, and we are not suggesting that you get into crypto. We're not suggesting you get into NFTs. As ever, I am just sharing my own creative journey and the questions I have along the way, as I have done since 2008. And uh, I just want you to understand the possibilities, the what I think are incredible creative possibilities, but also the ramifications of blockchain and crypto. And I don't want you to get caught up in the hype. I also don't want you to get caught up in the negativity. And there really are both sides of these things. I hope I'm helping you with these various episodes to navigate your way through this. And of course, I have my uh, highs and I have my lows as much as anyone else, but I... Yeah, I I just have a longer term view, I think, and try and keep my eyes on where this could be. If it is like 1999 all over again or whatever, then where will we be in a decade? And how do I want to position myself? And many of you have actually asked how I learn about all of these future focused things. I read a lot of books, many of which I talk about in the introduction to the podcasts. And I listen to a lot of other podcasts. Um, I change them a lot depending on the topic, but I do like if you're interested in the crypto side, crypto business podcast with Michael Stelzner is a good overview of the NFT space. Azim Azar's exponential view is a kind of broader thing about technology and Peter Diamandis' exponential wisdom with Dan Sullivan is got has got a whole load of really interesting topics. I'm also part of a community called Future Freedom, where um, Brian Clark and Jared Morris talk about different things that are going on with the future. It's not just Web3, it's AI, it's um, different forms of living and business models. And so anyway, I do have an affiliate link if you're interested, thecreativepen.com forward slash future freedom. And as ever, I'll put all the links in the show notes. 
So today's show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. If you support the show with just a few dollars or any other currency except cryptocurrency, (laughs) you get access to the patron-only Q&A where I answer your questions about writing, publishing, business or any of the futurist stuff. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Today's show is also sponsored by the friendly team at Written Word Media. Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick and easy and effective ways to promote your books. Written Word is best known for their email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy and Red Feather Romance. And in fact, I have a Free Booksy this week on Stone of Fire. They have five promotion sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over one million readers. They even have a site that helps you promote your audiobooks called Audio Thicket. When you purchase a promotion with Written Word Media, your book is sent to thousands of readers who love and read your books in your specific genre. As the email hits inboxes, you will see a flurry of sales or downloads of your title. Email promotions are priced based on how many readers there are in the genre and range from $25 to $500. The founders at Written Word Media are big believers in the power of innovation. Their newest product, Reader Reach Ads, allows authors to schedule a five-day Facebook ad campaign. And in fact, as I read this, they've just introduced Amazon ads too, using vetted audiences and personalised creative in as little as five minutes. No more creating ads or struggling over targeting. Written Word Media handles it all. You can schedule your promotions today at writtenwordmedia.com or send them an email at info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion will best meet your goals. You can also sign up for their free email newsletter to get book marketing tips and news from the world of self-publishing. Check them out at writtenwordmedia.com. And yes, personally, I use FreeBooksy and BargainBooksy paired with Facebook ads, their, their Facebook ad offering every few months, and they are consistently brilliant. Plus, it's easy to use and keeps my book sales humming along. So yeah, I use them and not because they're a sponsor. They're a sponsor because I use them. That's how I do my my sponsors. I look for companies who I love to work with and can recommend myself. And I certainly recommend written word media. So as ever, you can tweet me at the creative pen, email me joanna at thecreativepen.com and leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I'd love to know what you think of the interview and uh, it makes this more of a conversation. So let's get into the interview. Joe David is the founder and managing director of UK-based Nefos Group, which helps businesses with tax, technology and business planning. Nefos includes Minor Accountants, which is the UK's leading dedicated cryptocurrency accountancy. So welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic. But before we get started, uh, I guess we'd better give a bit of a disclaimer. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So basically everything we we discuss in this podcast will be based on either factual information that's been provided to me uh, via the the resources available or my opinion on certain things. None of it is financial advice. None of it is tax advice. If you do want specific tax advice, then yeah, please contact me separately. But this is a, a generic overview for your education only. 
Yes, brilliant. Absolutely. So let's get into it. And I want to start with a more personal question because you're an accountant and yet you are super interested in cryptocurrency. So why are you so interested, especially when the media and Mm. uh, probably a lot of accountants can be super negative about it? Yeah, so it's, and it is a good it is a good place to start because you know I do get asked that question quite a lot, and I think for me it, it comes down to two things. First of all, looking into to cryptocurrency over the years, working in the area with a few clients here and there, I just kind of really liked the concept. And, and as soon as I started reading more about it and, and, and watching more videos about it, and really understanding the underlying fundamental principles of crypto and, and blockchain, it really resonates with me how how we can have a financial system that isn't reliant on any one person or any third party. You know, there's no single source of failure. You control your own money. All of those bits and pieces fit really nicely, I think, with with where we should go with, with the digital kind of technology we've got these days. But the other point is, and it kind of touched on your point of where the media say certain things and other accountants might say certain things is, I've always been very opinionated and very uh, not not necessarily. I, I, I call it anti-establishment because I, but that doesn't mean I hate everything that is said. It means that I like to do things differently and I like to mix things up and I like to change things and for the better. And I think that that crypto will, will create a better financial system for our future generations. And therefore, that's my opinion, and and that's why I'm so passionate about it. Mm. I do want to circle back. You said you like the concept. So you started reading more until you could Mm. kind of understand the fundamentals. This is what I feel right now. Like I feel like I have now spent maybe 60 to 80 hours on reading about cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And that's just sort of the real deep stuff. It's been sort of a year or so for me of learning in discussions like this. But I do feel like there there is quite a knowledge gap between people who have opinions on this stuff and people who've actually spent time learning about it. So is it that you do have to spend 40 hours on this stuff before you get it? I mean, is that where we are? I think it depends on what you class as, as getting it. You can get a fundamental basic understanding of it through through watching a few videos, reading a book or two here and there. You'll be able to get a, a basic understanding of, of some of the common principles within blockchain technology and, and the cryptocurrencies that are laid on top of that. So, so I totally think you can get an understanding you know, fairly quickly. The reason I said it takes ages and watch loads of videos, read loads of articles and books and things like that is for me I wanted to go really deep and I wanted to go to you know and I'm still going deeply you know there's still much more that I keep finding I'm on a on a group and, and just this morning someone said it's amazing how you learn something every day in crypto and it and it is definitely that feeling of every day you learn something new or you see something different or Abby so I think it depends on the, the level that you want to go to and because I wanted to go so deep and really specialize in it for me, I spent you know hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and whatnot <laughs> researching it. Yeah, I mean, I I've definitely caught the bug as such, and I'm going down these rabbit holes too. And again, it's following your curiosity and figuring stuff out. And I'm still learning a lot as well. So I'm really glad to talk to you about this. But let, let's tackle a common, let's call it a misconception, <laughs> which is that mm. cryptocurrencies are not real money. So we don't have to account for them. We don't have to pay tax on them. And equally, it must be anonymous. So why would we even do that? So tell us why that's wrong and, and how we should think of it. Yeah, so I think if we start on the first point around it, whether it's kind of in inverted commas, real money or, or not, obviously, the definition, I guess, of, of money 
is an exchange of value, right? So I give you money for something and you give me something back in return. So if somebody is willing to give you a cryptocurrency and you're willing to give them something back in return for that cryptocurrency, then ultimately you've got a transaction there that you could class as, as money. I was reading once that there's a, some island somewhere out in Australasia or something like that. They trade rocks or something because that's the only kind of commodity they've got there that, you know, that they're, so that's not real money, but it is able to tr- trade value between themselves and between other people. So that is the kind of, I guess, the concept of whether it is or isn't real money. It's money if it's perceived to be exchangeable for value. Obviously, at the moment, there are limited ways of spending cryptocurrency in the world but what i would say is that's only going to get bigger and stronger so i wouldn't say it's not real money but at the same time i wouldn't say that it is a currency and therefore should be treated as so if that makes sense that's the first point i would say about whether it is or isn't real money but the second point then is if it's not real or or the money isn't kind of you can't physically see it or hold it i can understand people then saying well why do i need to tell anybody about it I'm just going online and effectively I'm gambling with some buying some Bitcoin and hoping it goes up. Therefore, I shouldn't pay tax on it. But actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. The tax rules are are very complicated and have a lot of potential issues for some people if not done properly. So, yeah, it it, it is definitely something that you need to be aware of. But, yeah, it, it's it's not as simple as just saying it's not real money. Therefore, I don't have to report it. Mm. And what about the uh, anonymity side of it? It's one of those situations, right? It's totally anonymous in a sense of it's done all by a a wallet address, not by name or anything like that. But at the same time, it's the most open system that anyone could possibly see ever. That might sound a bit bit strange, but the reason I say that is for for two reasons. So it's like I say, it's anonymous in the sense of you've got a a wallet address and that wallet address is, is the identifier to who you are. But in a lot of circumstances, you don't need to run any kind of KYC checks on that wallet. And therefore, there is no clear distinction between whose wallet is whose. The other argument to that is, but actually, some exchanges, so Binance, Coinbase, places like that, they will expect you to KYC. So at the moment that you trade with one of those, you've already linked that to your name. So I think I can understand why people consider it to be anonymous, but actually nine times out of 10, it probably isn't. The reason then that I say it's the most open system ever is that even if you could argue that it's anonymous, let's just say, actually you can follow the flow of every single transaction, every single movement of of crypto across a blockchain can be tracked and viewed on block what's called block explorers on the internet. So if I knew your wallet address, I could look at your wallet, I could see your transactions, I could see what you were doing, which also actually makes it much easier for us than you might think to do the, the tax kind of side of it. Yeah. And in fact, I've read that people are more worried about transparency than anonymity. <laughs> uh, and that yeah, think, you yeah. know, very, very high net worth individuals, that it's like everything can be seen. And then the tax authorities can see everything. Plus, I've heard of AI related tools that mm. can essentially track you through other forms of um, online behavior to your wallet address. So I guess why I wanted to start with that is uh, I still hear comments that relate to what perhaps Bitcoin was back a decade 
to go. <laughs> and things have changed a lot. And so importantly, we are saying that we're going to account for this as we do. Um, let's say I go to a fair and I, I transact in cash. I will account for that with my accountant in the same way that I will also account for my cryptocurrency. So you could, in inverted mm-hmm. commas, somehow try and avoid accounting for it. But we're business people. We want to do the right thing, right? That's essentially what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, totally. And look, I speak to people who have this dilemma in inverted commas, you know, all the time, their dilemma of whether they should declare it or not, you know, and my point is always, this is an open system that anybody can look at at any point, whenever they want, right? So HMRC may not have the capability at the moment in order to be able to find this information, but this is going to stay on the blockchain forever. It's not going to be taken away and, and no longer viewable or anything like that. So if, if even if it takes a couple of years for HMRC to be able to get the ability to be able to do it they are going to have the ability so why would you risk if you like that when you know full well that they're going to be able to access publicly information publicly available information um and mm. actually you talk about cash and actually it's an interesting point because people suggest that that cryptos are are used for a lot of illicit activities and, and things like that but actually all of that in principle can be tracked whereas cash can't be tracked if I drive to where you are now and I hand you a bag of cash and then I drive away again, who's to ever say what happened to that? And if you then go and use that for illicit activities, for example, even if I didn't, there's no way of tracking that. Whereas with crypto, if I send you crypto and then you send that to an illicit activity, I can find that out. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. so actually, when people talk about that, you've got to think about actually how much you know illicit activity is used in the current financial system that, that can't be followed or tracked. Mm, absolutely. So just a, a couple of acronyms there. KYC, which is know your customer. So people know your listening. Customer, yeah. yeah, that's when you upload your driver's license and your name and address and your, what country you're in. And then also you mentioned HMRC, which is the tax authority here in the UK. So I guess that's just yes. another quick question is when you're talking about things, is this UK specific or what? given that this is all kind of global, how is it global and how is it not? Yeah, so, and it's a really interesting point, again, because we we do now get a lot of inquiries internationally, and we do work internationally, you know, more so on the business side of things and the personal tax side of things, but we do work internationally on, on personal tax as well, because there are accountants around the world that, that don't know how to deal with crypto. So we're talking to a guy in the US at the moment, where we're going to reconcile all his US stuff, and uh, sorry, all his crypto stuff, and then send that over to his, his US accountant who will file it. So ultimately, the rules are different in, in a sense in every country. There are more tax-friendly jurisdictions for crypto, and there are less friendly, you know, jurisdictions for crypto. So the rules are different in each kind of country, but a lot of the principles are very similar. Mm, absolutely. Right. Let's get into some specifics. So the listeners are authors and we sell books mainly. And there are companies emerging that will help us sell ebooks as NFTs. So let's call them NFT mm-hmm. books, which are essentially an, an EPUB file on a specific blockchain with a smart contract attached uh, in some way. And a buyer can read, collect and or sell those NFT books. So one of the questions that I keep asking people and still don't really get an answer to is is an nft book is it a product is it an asset is it a collectible because i believe these are treated differently for tax purposes yeah so as you say this you know going kind of specific but also i just want to reiterate the point around whilst this is a specific subject we're not actually talking about specific scenarios so please do get in touch if, if this relates to you so ultimately an nft 
can be multiple different things these days. And people look at NFTs and say, oh, it's just digital art or what have you. But actually the use cases for, for NFTs are, are going to be kind of mind-blowing, I think, in, in the future. So for, for the first thing to establish is what NFT is, you are actually creating or, or using or selling or, or buying or what have you. So ultimately what I do is, is to try and tie it back to what the kind of traditional underlying asset might be and what the intention is of what you're doing. So if, for example, you're a creator, so you're a, you know, a book author um, then, and you create your book as an NFT and you sell that, then to be honest, you're likely to be taxed under the same kind of rules, if you like, as if your book was a physical copy. So if you sell that book for, you know, 0.1 Ethereum or whatever, whatever it might be, then you will be taxed on the, the value of that at the point of sale. So that, that's the kind of the first fairly kind of, again, broad brush, but fairly simple approach. If you're a buyer, obviously you're not going to pay tax on purchasing, but if you then resell that, then there is a tax on reselling of that NFT. So where that might be different is if you were buying a book in the kind of normal kind of world, you went to a bookstore, you bought the book, and then you saw your friend the next day because you read it really quickly and you said, here you go, here's this book, give me a pound back for it. And they gave you a pound, that probably wouldn't ever be declared. Whereas with with the blockchain, NFTs at the moment are not split between a book, a piece of art, a ticket. You know, they're all kind of put under one one banner, if you like, as, as NFTs. So I think at the moment there'll be a real challenge between saying that NFT purchase and sale shouldn't be taxed, because ultimately HMRC would say an NFT is an NFT, therefore there should be tax on that. The last kind of, I guess, example is you you will have collectors. So you will have people who who you know purchase NFTs or, or or traditional books to collect. Now obviously there's a slightly different regime for that under the current you know kind of tax guidance as well. So unfortunately, we're in a position where we've got a whole new world which is opening up to, to a kind of really large audience, which is fantastic. But unfortunately, the guidance doesn't necessarily follow every single kind of avenue that's been opened. So in this case, with with books and publishers and authors, there is no specific guidance. So that is definitely something that needs to be considered when you're doing this and to get specific advice on on the exact scenario. You know, like I say, intention is really important, why you're doing it, what will be the implications if you are doing it in the traditional way and, and kind of taking it from there. But like I say, it does need to be specific to your scenario. Mm, absolutely. And as you say, intention and also best endeavors, like I really tried yeah. and that I came to you with these questions because I want to do the right thing and I'm going to make decisions about my business based on trying to abide by what the rules are. And maybe I'll write a company minute about what I'm doing and I will just yeah. really, really try hard to do this the right way. But as you say, there are no rules yet. So we kind of have to just make it up as we go along, but in the best way, the most appropriate way that will enable us to run a business, but also will stay within what the tax authorities want, I guess. Absolutely. And like I say, that's the trickiest part now is is the fact that there is no specific guidance and you've got to kind of a guess in some senses what, what the tax authorities may or may not want you to do. So as we discussed when we've spoken, it's all around intention. It's all around the kind of backing paperwork that you've got covering your back. So if you've made a decision, why have you made it? And here's the reasoning why I did it. Because if they do change the rules in the future, at least you can say, look, at the time, these were the rules that were in place. And this is why I made that decision. You're much more likely to be 
be thought looked upon positively than if you just said, oh, I didn't know, so I didn't do anything. They do say that naivety is not the answer, if that makes yeah. sense. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, ignorance it, doesn't count. You can't count. just say, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you have to try. You have to at least try and find out these things. So let's just go back to, uh, so I'm a creator. I'm, I sell my book for the 0.1 ETH, uh, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so I'm going to pay income tax on that completely fine. But also what happens when I sell an ebook right now is depending on where the customer is. So some EU countries, for example, Australia, Japan, have a digital sales tax or a digital VAT, which at the moment is covered by the services like Amazon and Apple and Kobo and they pay those taxes and then I just get the profit afterwards which I would pay income tax on. So if we're looking at selling NFT books and again we don't know the answer but what we might think will happen do we have to do this kind of digital VAT or digital sales tax on uh, NFT books? So yeah this is a really hot topic at the moment not just for for VAT on cryptocurrency and NFTs because it's a similar sort of situation with digital art and tickets and many kind of NFTs is where is your customer and especially in crypto world a lot of people like to try and stay as anonymous as they can you very rarely get someone to tell you their first name straight away because it's a, it's, in a, it's a space where people are very cautious about their their kind of detail security and things like that so you'll quite often find that people will be anonymous and people will also use vpns which again you're right earlier i was i said acronyms that didn't necessarily mean anything but a vpn effectively kind of changes the location of your computer so if your computer is based you know in the uk you can get a vpn which will you can route to i don't know france and then as far as the computer is concerned you're in france so that People like Netflix and people like that will block, for example, if you've got a subscription in the UK, you can't use it if you're on a, if you're on a, a computer outside of the UK. So a lot of people use VPNs to trick the computer to think that it's in the UK so they can use Netflix and broad and things like that. So same concept here in crypto where people will quite often say, I might be sat in the UK, but actually I want this security and this anonymity, et cetera. So therefore, I'm going to put my IP address to be somewhere else. So it's a really difficult question because ultimately who's responsible for that and and hmrc would say you as the seller you're responsible for finding out where your customer is but practically and in reality that's significantly harder than it might seem so ultimately like i said the rules are at the moment are very 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 general and it's the same for vat as it is for kind of income tax and capital gains tax around nft so there is no specific answer to say if you're an author and you sell books to the EU, that country has a digital sales tax and therefore you'd have to pay that tax. The answer at the moment is, again, going back to that point I made earlier, you've got to relate it back to the to the kind of real world asset if you were to sell that. So at the moment, what we're advising clients is, if you are selling into a country and you would normally have reported that sales tax under the VATMOS regime, then you should continue to do that. Again, best endeavors with your NFTs. HMRC have said to us that you should track an IP address, the IP address being the computer's location. As I've just said, that can be different. But if you've tracked it and you've got an idea of where people are, whether that's right or not, is not your fault. You're not expected to then you know, investigate whether someone's IP address is in the right place. So there are certain things you can do. Um, you and I spoke about, could you take an assumption? So let's say currently you sell you know, 50% of your books in the UK and 50% in the US. You know, again, reasonably say, look, I took a reasonable assumption that 50% of my books are in the UK, therefore 50% of them 
I charge that on and or pay that on and, and 50% I don't. So there are a lot of assumptions as you've probably <laughs> gathered. But what I'm trying to get at is as long as you've got reasoning and justifiable kind of basis for what you're doing, you can't be penalized for doing your best with what's in front of you is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, it, it is a bit of a game and you've got to try and work out the best way to play it. But that's what people like me are here for, to talk through your specific scenario and really give you a bit more comfort on it. Yes, absolutely. And I have been trying to encourage the NFT book platforms, which are just emerging, to to give us some kind of report on their best endeavours on um, which countries Mm. people are buying from. So to put the onus on them to give us a report that says, here's your country breakdown as best as we can do it. And if they at least provide that, then at least that gives me something to go on. So they're definitely listening. And But as you say, this is still all emerging. So it's actually quite, I want to say fun. This is fun for us. We love all this stuff. (laughs) yeah if you're sad like me then it's fun but oh no it's sad like me too I mean and people listening if anyone's still listening it's fun for them as well Um, (laughs) but um let's just come back because you mentioned capital gains tax and I feel like capital gains is something that as authors we really have not had to think about before Mm. it literally it has not come up any time in my business my business of over a decade as an author is capital gains tax as it you know relates to books specifically so explain why we need to think about capital gains at this point yeah really good really good point and again sometimes i i forget that actually you're right this should probably never really come up in your business or whatnot before so the main reason that it's going to come up in this case is so so quickly on what capital gains tax is so ultimately capital gains tax is a tax on any capital gains right so the simplistic way to explain it is if you buy a property uh, which is an investment property and you buy it for £100,000, and then two years later, you sell it for £200,000, you would pay capital gains tax on the increase in value of that property. So in that example, there'd be capital gains tax on the 100000 I'm not going to go into the rates because it depends and, and all those sorts of things. So the same concept here. So let's just say you accept, and I'm going to call it one ETH, but it would be great to sell a book for an ETH, I'm sure, which is about... Three and a half thousand dollars at the moment, but more three thousand maybe, but depending on when this goes out. But yeah, so let's just say it's for one ETH. And let's just say that when you receive that one ETH, you keep that in, in Ethereum, you don't sell it, and therefore you're holding that Ethereum. If in a week's time, again, what a scenario this would be, that one ETH was worth double. So now it's worth, let's just call it it's three thousand for one, it's now six thousand dollars for for one. You've now made a three thousand dollar gain of which you would pay capital gains tax on. So that's when I talk about capital gains tax, I'm talking about the increase in the value of an asset that you're holding that you then subsequently sell. So like I said, Ethereum is received at a value. If that goes up when you sell it and you sell it for a higher value, you will pay tax on the difference between what you sold it for and what you paid for it when you received it. Hopefully that explains it in a fairly non-complex way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, again, people might have to think about this again and again or listen several times. I mean, I, I had to think about this quite a lot. And I, I I made a mistake in that I didn't really. So when we call things taxable events, that's the time at which things become taxable. Right. So like you said, if someone bought my book for and let's say it's a first edition, why wouldn't it be one ETH? <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like first edition, a Charles Dickens first edition print book is way more than that. So, yeah. So, the one ETH I got when they bought the book. And so that is income taxable because that was a purchase that they bought. And I received that at that point. So, that's a taxable event. But then, as you said, if I wait a week and then I turn that 
ETH into pounds or dollars, that makes it a taxable event. If I keep it in ETH, then it just stays there, right? I don't have to turn it into fiat currency or pounds or dollars or currency in my bank account. I can just leave it there in ETH and then I don't pay capital gains or loss. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> let's remember, there, there can be loss as well. I don't have to think about that unless I do something like I turn that into money in my bank account. Or if I exchange that ETH for, let's say, Bitcoin, if I exchange it, that's a taxable event. Or if I download the money, essentially, that's also a taxable event. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So yeah, so you, you've hit the nail on the head there. So maybe you want a job. Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's a case of, of of a disposal, right? So a taxable event is a disposal of some kind. Now, in some circumstances, a disposal, like you say, is the selling of the asset. It might also be using that to purchase something. So for example, you might receive an ETH for your, for your NFT book, and you might use that one ETH to then buy an NFT piece of art or an NFT ticket or something like that. So any kind of disposal, if you like, of any kind. But you're right to point out, because some people do sometimes get a bit concerned and anxious about this. ETH was to you know increase tenfold overnight. You would only pay tax if you sold it and therefore realize or disposed of it and realize that gain. If you don't realize it by the, disposing it, then there is no tax to, to pay. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And so what I did was I was like, oh, well, I'll turn this into something else. And I didn't realize that that would trigger a capital gains event in that case. And if I had known that, I would have maybe done it at a different point or, <laughs> or just hold it, or held it there instead of going, oh, I should put that in my GBP bank account because that's a good idea. So I, th- I yeah. think it just gives us more to consider. This is a big mindset shift. And so I hope people listening are still with us. But each NFT, so when we do an NFT book, there are different blockchains that we could transact on. So you've mentioned Ethereum, which has the currency ETH. And that is, at the moment, it's expensive to mint, but equally, it's quite stable as a coin. So by holding ETH, I think, yeah, probably it will go up and down. It will be quite stable. But there are other services being built on blockchains that are newer, that might have a coin that no one's heard of before. And so I guess what I'm saying is, what do you think about how we can assess risk in terms of which blockchains and which services to use when we're thinking about a longer term thing. I mean, you said earlier that you think it's mind blowing as to what the future might hold for NFTs, but many of these blockchains are going to disappear. They're going to go to zero in the same way that many of the dot-com boom companies disappeared. So what do you think about that? I know it's, it's totally your opinion, by the way. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, yeah, no, you're right. And it, it it's it's so hard because you you read the the kind of white paper which is the the kind of pitch deck if you like the reason why their product is better than everybody else is why you should buy it and whatnot and you it's very easy to get sold on them and think this is the next big thing and but actually like you say a lot of these will very quickly go to zero and and it's really hard to know which ones will and which ones won't in fact probably not impossible so what we've got to do is look at look at blockchain and look at cryptocurrency for what the underlying uh, kind of principles and technologies are that we're 
you know, we're we're looking at and, and the blockchains that you're building on and how many other projects are on there, how much money is on that. So you can look at what's called a total value locked, which is basically the money that's locked on the platform in one way, shape or form, which kind of shows you the use. You can also look at the volume that's gone through, the trade volume that's gone through the platform to see how how high or, or, or maybe low that is. So there is research that you can do and it's impossible for me to say which ones are going to be good and which ones are going to be bad. But naturally, it's something like Bitcoin and, and Ethereum has been able, Bitcoin more so, but has been able to be around for as long as it has. And yes, the value's gone up and, and yes, the value's gone down. But actually now it's fairly kind of, there's a there's a range, but there's a fairly good range, say for Bitcoin, 35 to 45K dollars is, is pretty much the range, I think, for now. Ethereum's pretty much 2,700, 2,800, like three and a half, something like that. So there is that range now, whereas and if you look today, the market's down today, Ethereum's down a couple of percent, different lower cap coins are down 9, 10, 15, 20%. So it kind of shows in, in that that you can see which ones are the more secure. So you've got to do research. And we said at the start, not financial advice and all that sort of stuff. You've got to, you've got to do your own research and you've got to look into each project and, and really just not be sold on what the you know, what it, you know, what it says in the tin and, and really look at the underlying assets. Because the biggest thing in crypto is effective because it's peer to peer effectively. I sell my crypto, you will have to buy my crypto. Do you know what I mean? There's no, it's not like a, a bookie where you say, look, I'm going to put a bet on and, and the bookie backs that bet. This is a situation where I've got to want to sell and you've got to want to buy effectively. Mm-hmm. So what that means is there isn't a lot of liquidity. So if it's just a small cap token where there's not a lot of liquidity, you might actually find that if you receive money in that, you can't actually sell it. And not because it's a scam, but because there just isn't enough liquidity to, to sell that at that moment. So yeah, you've just got to be conscious and, and careful around what you're receiving, why you're receiving it, and, and really do some research before you you kind of accept anything that is outside of the, the kind of top two. Yeah, absolutely. And right at the beginning, you said this is a financial system. And that's, I think, the big difference between the whole Web 2, we were still using normal, in inverted commas, money. And so we didn't have to think about a financial system really on the internet. And I Mm. feel like this is another step that I didn't actually realize until I minted my Mm. first NFT. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I've just earned this thing, some ETH. Uh, What does that mean? And when I started questioning, what does it mean? What does it mean? That's kind of how I ended up thinking about this. But I I guess just to come to the risk again, I mean, are we, how early do you think we are? I mean, obviously Bitcoin's been around, what is it, 14 years or something. Could crypto fail completely? Is the NFT Mm. bubble bursting or are we looking at, we're just moving into a new phase where we're going to have the regulators coming in, we're going to have the central banks coming in and things are changing. I mean, where do you think we are in the adoption cycle? Yeah, I still think we're very early. If you look at, and I haven't got the numbers to hand, but if you look at the amount of of people adopting cryptocurrency today compared to the amount of people there are in the world, I think you know that gives you a slight indication of to where it could go. There's also a chart out there that actually shows the adoption curve of, of the kind of internet and then the adoption curve of crypto. And crypto is actually ahead of that adoption curve at the same period of time as the internet was. So, you know, not saying that that it, you know it doesn't mean that it will be in the future, but I think it it is more accessible to more people because you can deal with crypto on a mobile phone. You don't need a hardwired internet connection. You can access crypto on your phone. And lots of people don't have bank accounts in, in you know, third world countries and things like that. They don't actually need a bank account for crypto. They can hold it in their own wallet. So personally, I think it is still very early. And I think there's still a huge kind of increase in, in what crypto 
crypto will do and what blockchain will do. This, the same in a sense for, for NFTs. Like personally, I think we're past this, the phase of, of spending millions of dollars on one time in an image. I think that boom has probably gone up. I'm, don't, I'm not saying we never will see that again, but I think you know that that clearly is a boom and bust type scenario. You know, you don't spend every week, you don't spend millions on on you know on digital art. It's just not sustainable. But I do think that NFTs are here forever. And that's because I think that the utility that an NFT can provide is more important than the image that's portrayed on it, if that makes sense. So books being an example, but also we're looking at launching an NFT uh, for our, well, say looking, we are going to launch an NFT. We're just finalizing the details. We'll hopefully be able to announce it in the next couple of weeks where we're going to be able to do some quite interesting things with our business and a lot of that will be locked, if you like, behind an NFT. So if you own one of our NFTs, you'll get access to certain things that if you don't own an NFT, you wouldn't get access to, for example. So I think what NFTs have is a huge future, being able to trade products and services between people. Legitimately, ticketing is a perfect example. If you go to a sports game, a football game, or the races, or something like that, you're going to speak to someone, no doubt, who says, do you want to buy a ticket, please? Or do you want to sell a ticket? Because the ticket touts, because there's a huge black market for for selling, you know, tickets, and some of those are legit, some of them won't be. Whereas with NFTs, you've got that whole market on a on a secure, legitimate blockchain. So if I want to sell my ticket to you, I can sell it. You know it's legit. You don't need to know who I am. I know people that have got season tickets to football clubs, and they've got a little card. They if they were to sell it to someone random, they'd have to give them that card and trust that they'd get it back. With with the blockchain, you don't need to do that. You just transfer the right to that game to that person they go do you know what i mean it's it's the, the ability for to do things like that i think is is phenomenal but i don't think that there will be you know a huge market for million dollar um pictures of apes <laughs> yeah so the, so it's changing that's what we're saying it's changing yeah. and again the media likes all the hypey hypey stories but behind the hype yeah, are your business my business we're looking at what we're going to do for the next sort of couple of decades in terms of really interesting business models so i'm excited uh, to see what you're going to do now uh, many people listening will be like oh my goodness i just don't know where to start so tell us about you and your team and and everything you do uh, online yeah, so thanks. So our, our, our focus is, as you said in the intro, one of our brands is solely focused on crypto. And that isn't just the kind of accounting and taxation side. It is an educational side as well. I talked briefly a second ago about an NFT that we're, you know, we're considering and how we're going to launch it. And, and we do want to build in some educational content around that as well, because we are really passionate about crypto and, and the future of it. So definitely do kind of follow us and, and, and check us out, because like, especially with my kind of social media and things like that, I am trying to be educational as well as uh, tax-related things and, and and stuff like that. So do check us out. We want to be able to bring mainstream adoption to crypto in the professional services kind of area. We want to be a leader in professional services and 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 how you deal with crypto and 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 blockchain technology within your business or your personal life. So that's our focus and our goal, and and we're doing you know well so far. But there's a long way to go. So do try and you know follow us and, and reach out to us and we're more than happy to help. So our website is minor spell M Y N A. So it's minor accountants with an S dot co. And my Twitter is at Cripjo091. So that's C-R-Y-P-J-O-091. And like I say, I'm you know fairly active 
every day and at minor accountants is our business twitter as well brilliant well thanks so much for your time joe that was great no worries thanks for having me So I hope you found the interview with Joe interesting and please do reach out to him and his team if you have questions about your crypto situation. So it's back to existing business models and the independent creator mindset on Monday when I talk to Derek Sivers about independence and selling direct. Many of you might have read Derek's book, Anything You Want, and heard of his story of growing CD Baby, the first company to help musicians sell their music directly to fans. And we completely don't talk about any of that. We talk about his new life, which is really as a writer. And we have a wide ranging discussion around what he thinks about writing, publishing and selling direct. So in the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.